Welcome back to the Super Sapiens podcast, where we explore Super Sapiens metrics, the app features and experience, and how Super Sapiens around the world are driving the next step in human performance evolution. Homo Sapiens, meet Super Sapiens. The worst thing by far is nausea. Like pain is fine, right? Pain's like, you can, you can rationalize pain. Even like going to the dentist and, and not getting anesthetic, you know, you can put up with it. You can try and think of other things, but nausea is awful. So, and, and that's the difference. We, we figured out what, what causes it with, for me and we figured out how to mitigate it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the first episode of the new year. This is the Super Sapiens Podcast. I'm your host, Zylan Fanek. With me is David Lipman. David, we made it to 2023. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, I think it's about six months we've been going with the podcast as well, so congratulations on the six-month anniversary, uh, semi-anniversary, uh, semi whatever you want to call it, uh, Zylan. So thank you, and thanks for your help with the podcast. Happy New Year as well to you and, and to the listeners and um, season's greetings, whatever you celebrate. And we've got some great stuff coming up for you uh, this episode and others. When is the Happy New Year cutoff? When is the last time you say you wish someone a Happy New Year? Me? Um, yeah. I'll reciprocate for a long time. Uh, as an instigator, probably, you know, we're recording this on the 6th of January, so yeah, probably around now. Uh, depends though if it's somebody if it's somebody that I want to show a level of um, uh, respect in I guess is the word for uh, and I haven't spoken to them in the new year then perhaps but I, we're we're not getting past like, we're not getting into February though let's be really clear we are definitely not getting into February <laughs> no no ways but I'm, I'm like a four Jan five Jan kind of guy I'm done after that man. but let's be clear if you decide to to tree then I am also very, very, very harsh on you. That needs to be down by the 1st of January and it probably shouldn't be up before about the 15th of December. But if you want to do 1st of December, I'll, I'll respect it. But if it's up before December, we have a problem. Oh, ours is still up. I need to get it down. It's starting to look a, a little worse for wear. Need to get it down. Isn't it bad luck? I thought um, it was bad luck after the 1st of January. Oh, I've never, A, never heard of that. B, I never believe in anything like that. I'm way too lazy. My whole life would be unlucky if uh, if I turned you to deadlines like that. Um, before we get to some community shoutouts, this episode is with James McDonald, ultra cyclist. Um, I mean, what this guy achieves on the bike is just incredible. How he does it with a full-time job, I do not know, but we do ask him about it in this episode and he explains how he does it. Very, very inspiring. Um, and today, actually, we're recording this, David, on the 6th of Jan. Um, he, later in the year, is going to attempt to do the 24-hour track record, right? So that is the most kilometers ridden on a track in 24 hours. Yeah, so he's going to re reattempt that. He's we talk a bit about a previous attempt in this uh, episode, and he's got a dry run today of eight hours up in Cardiff. Um, so you know, hopefully that's going well. Obviously, neither of us could make it. We did get the invite, which is lovely. So thanks uh, for the invite, James and and team. And you know, hopefully the eight hours goes well, um, and then we can go from there. And then speaking about ultra cyclists, another ultra cyclist we were involved with last year, Jack, ultra cyclist, Jack Thompson, man, he set out this massive goal for 2022 and knocked it out of the park. He aimed to do an Everesting, 
every week of the year last year. So 52 everything. That's where, you know, you go up and down one climb riding the vertical elevation of the equivalent of Mount Everest. And he did 52 last year. That's over a million meters climbed. Well, he also did a bunch of elevation through the rest of the week because it was about doing um, a total elevation in a week as well and total elevation in a year. So just just brutal. So um, we're going to reach out to Jack and see if he'll kindly donate a little bit of his time now that he has so much spare time uh, to to come and talk to us about Everesting because I'm sure some of our listeners would be interested in the ins and outs of what he learned doing it 52 times last year. Shout out to him. He also raised over $400,000 for three mental health charities doing that. So like really, really cool, Jack, man. We've spoken to him a bunch of times about this. And like you said, we'll get him on the pod at some stage and have a chat to him here about it. Um, and then towards the end of last year, you were, you know, uh, moving around with the big stars of triathlon and none bigger than um, on the main side, Jan Fredino, Super Sapiens hosted, or you on the Super Sapiens plot podcast hosted Jan Fredino on a webinar. How was that? It was exciting. He was a really nice guy. I mean, that sounds weird, but, but um, you never really... Uh, are too sure how um, professional athletes can be. Some of them can feel like a bit of a chore for them or something like this. You, you've dealt with more professional athletes than I have, but I've been unbelievably surprised by how giving the athletes that we work with Super Sapiens are and how nice they are as people, um, all of them, like, without exception. Every single one of them that I've talked to, I've just been like, wow, that's a really nice person. And, and Jan was no different. We had a good chat before we started recording. It was lovely. Um, and then, yeah, it went really well. I was surprised by how open and candid he was with some of the stuff he shared. Um, you know, for those who have access, uh, you have access to it from the email uh, that was sent recently from Super Sapiens. If you don't, and you can find somebody who has access to the email, you should be able to get access. Um, it's a cool chat. I, w- I won't share too much about it, but we talk about his nutrition. We talk about his history, his racing, some of his thoughts about where triathlon's going and Ironman's going. And yeah, it was just really cool. I think you you were creeping in the background in the crowd, Silent. What did you think? Um, apart from you thinking that Two Oceans Marathon uh, ultra and ultra marathon in South Africa was a trail run, not a road run, <laughs> it it was good up until that point. Yep. No, 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 absolutely. Like it was a conversation that flowed, and you did super, super well. It was an hour. Didn't feel like it was dragging on. Felt like you were sitting next to. It was a fireside chat among two friends. You know, one being the world class um, triathlete, and it was insightful. And like you said, he was so. So generous with his knowledge um, also super cool of him to open up about his injuries last year what he went through how it happened how he dealt with it what he would have done in hindsight um, so that was a webinar we had signups on our social media channels and our email newsletters for that webinar so unfortunately if you missed that one sorry about it but in future we do have more of these things planned so make sure you are following us on all social media channels make sure you subscribe to our newsletter um to not miss any of this in total um to to not miss any of this um and then talking about totals david at the end of the year last year we put out um some insight into what are some of the biggest events that has been tagged on the super sapiens app the food um events is really really fascinating do you, you probably know the answer what came out as the biggest tagged event on the super sapiens app last year it's coffee it's always coffee of course there's a bunch of endurance athletes Amazing. it's coffee and people for different reasons think that um you know maybe it's erroneous think that coffee may have an effect on their glucose and i can tell you categorically that coffee does not 
Uh, it doesn't matter what any social media account was doing. I'm an avid coffee drinker and I've been wearing a sensor for two years. It does not move the needle. What you add to your coffee may move the needle, right? So this is like saying alcohol causes a glucose increase. No, it's the stuff you put in the alcohol that it causes the increase. If anything, alcohol is more stable, glue, uh, coffee not so much. But anything that happens as a result of coffee drinking is either what you've added, oat milk being a classic example that will give you a huge increase in glucose, sugar being the other one, unsurprisingly. And then the other thing, and then if you have milk that's low fat percentages, it's going to have a bunch of sugar. There's only three things in milk. It's fat, protein, and sugar. It's not super high protein. So if you remove the fat, it becomes, you know, a lot more sugar, right? So, you know, those are the things. And then some people get a bit of a boost in terms of their mental space and that, and the mood can increase it. Whether that's as a result of the coffee, I would argue it's not. It's what the coffee's doing to you to make you feel better to then increase your glucose, not coffee driving glucose. But anyway, so coffee is one of them. Uh, you know, of course, bread is the other one because everyone wants to eat, the, have their bread and eat it too, right? They want to <laughs> find a way to eat their bread with, uh, without having an increase in glucose. So it's cool. It's cool that people are experimenting with it. I think it's really cool. Um, so yeah, it's really, really uh, exciting to see how the system's being used and how we're learning from other people. Um, you were working really hard on this on our off-season training plan. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I just wanted to welcome all the new people who are using sensors and part of the off-season training plan. We had our first call sort of talking about it the other night. Hopefully, everyone gained a lot from that. Um, and, you know, we signposted them to the to the podcast because a lot of our older episodes were really helpful in the early journeys. But I think it's really important for people to realize that we're still learning from other people. And this off-season training plan is, is around helping people to use the system to learn and it's teaching people to learn. Um, and we're hoping to build this into a bit of a, this is almost like a beta test of uh, a potential like, where we can go with a product um, and something we could build into the app, which is how do you then use this to test things that you want to test? Because that's where I think its strength lies more than anything else is how, you know, I'm busy going through this at the moment. I'm busy testing different gels against each other. Um, so testing what I've used historically uh, with precision fuel and hydration gels. So wanting to look at which one you know, it's better for me for a marathon. So I'm busy playing with this and there's different ways of doing this. Historically, what I've done is done different runs and used only one fuel source uh, across different weeks. This time I'm actually mixing them through. So I'm doing half my run on one and half my run on the other ones to see. Yeah, you did a, you did a three hour run the other day and you, you mixed them up over the hours. Yeah, yep, exactly right. And so I'm playing around with that to see if anything changes there because that way it's not, in some ways, it's more valid because it's the same day and, and other factors are limited. In some ways, it's less valid because you're not in the same position when you start. But yeah, just trying to learn from it, right? You're trying to, it's a very noisy thing, glucose. And what you're trying to do is see signal through it. So you need to try and limit variables and understand what you're seeing and understand why you might be seeing something. And you've got to test over and over and over again to try and really tease out what is signal and what is noise. Is is it that, you know, one of them looked better or worse on the day because of the wind, Right. You know, I was in Portugal recently and I was running with them and I had a tailwind home. So I felt way better coming home. That's not to do with the gels. That's to do with the wind. So, yeah. Interesting, man. Speaking of which, uh, good training from you in the off season. What are the goals for 2023? You um, have them up already? Yeah, yeah of course. Um, so late last year, I knocked off my five and 10 KPBs, which had been goals for a little while. Uh, I've got a half marathon. I was meant to be running this Saturday, so the 7th, but it's just too close to my travel. I only got back yesterday uh, driving from Portugal to London. So, geez, it was it was. Fun. So this is what you would say to me now. All I hear are excuses, excuses, excuses. Oh, I could go do it. I'm just not super keen. I've shifted it to another time that works a little bit better. Um, 
So, or I think I have anyway. We'll see if I go and do this. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Um, and then, so the half marathon is a sort of sub goal. London, I would like to run fast and, and ideally like to PB. Everyone wants to PB every time, but the most important goal there is process related. So can I execute better, right? And if I can execute better then really happy. And then if that's a PB, then happy days. And I think it can be with good weather and, you know, a good training block, which is a way away as yet, but I think that can be. And then um, some other thoughts later in the year, but we'll see. I'll probably run another marathon. I'd like to run some trails and maybe something else that's a bit special, but we'll see. What about you, mate? Are you going to do your third Ironman ever or? Fourth Ironman. Ever. Oh, sorry. It'll only be um, your second one then. Sorry. I, I got my numbers confused. <laughs> It'll only be your second one because the other ones you do with duathlons, weren't they? Uh, one was cancelled swim, one with the swim was halved. Um, but yeah, as 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 I say, I challenge challenge anyone to walk up to me halfway through that marathon on that Ironman and tell me I'm not doing a full Ironman. <laughs> yeah, would it would not go well for you, you know, when you're in the in the herd box at that point. Um, but yeah, for the Ironman coming up early March, so all systems go. I think it's gonna be my last Ironman for now, honestly. Uh, you know, famous last words everyone keeps saying to me, but uh, I want to give it a real crack, a real go. So training's been going really well. Usually over this summer holiday period, I'm not at home. I'm in a game reserve in the Kruger National Park, or something. So training's really hard. Subtle flex but there, Subtle flex there. <laughs> but last year was so hard with travel. I've traveled so much that I just wanted to be at home over this Christmas period. And that allowed me to get a good block of training in. Did the rougher festive 500, riding 500 kilometers between um, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. And everyone year is on holiday. It's summer on the coast. So, you know, group rides are going anywhere from 100 to 150K. 200 people in the group stopping for coffee, stopping for breakfast. It's just an incredible vibe. So it was an incredible time to get big mileage in. So yeah, looking forward to cracking on with that. End of the month, I've got a half Ironman distance race, sort of to build towards Ironman. Got an Olympic distance race in, in a week's time and then half Ironman distance towards the end of the month. And then you will go to Tour of Rwanda to work at Tour of Rwanda. And at the same time, hopefully get in some good high altitude running in Rwanda. That worked out really well for me for last year's Ironman. And then yeah, on to the big one, early March. So I just heard a bunch of flexing, which is weird, but okay. And then I just had this- <laughs> I'm just one. talking about my life, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I just had this weird, mo- I had this weird moment of like, imagine being the cafe owner when 200 cyclists roll in and they all want a, like, they all want a croissant and a, and a coffee. Like your life just, I mean, on one, and one, the local- in one regards, it's like, this is awesome. Also, I have a nightmare next hour. This is, this is a problem. The local farm stall, they've actually grown so much across the road on their um, vegetable farm. They've built a container takeaway coffee shop to to handle the overload because before their usual customers arrive at eight or nine, it's packed with cyclists. So both side, both coffee shops, they have two coffee shops on either side of the road now because they've grown so much just because you know, cyclists bombard the place on, on a Saturday and Sunday morning. Most, most importantly, mate, on your training, the listeners are keen to hear, have you been doing your strength training? I have. I can proudly say thanks to you, the strength training you've put together, I have been doing it. And when I was in the gym this week, I actually did some of the physio's strength work she gave me, you know, when I when she was trying to strengthen my body when I didn't finish a, a half Ironman in 2021. And it used to be really hard to do. Now it's super easy to do thanks to the strength work that you've 
you've given me. I don't have a hundred percent attendance rate. I'm not gonna lie, oh, but I okay. am trying to 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 prioritize it once to twice a week. So um, very good. Yeah, going well. We'll see how we go, well. mate. We'll see how that goes. I'm excited to see how you go as a result. I did. I did substitute today's strength work for stand-up paddle boarding on the ocean and worth it because about 10 dolphins came and joined us and came past us, so worth it. Hey, listeners, I'm really sorry if you're still here, like getting sick of old Flex, Flex Wheeler <laughs> over here. Uh, so, you know, anyway, I just, I'm really sorry if you're still, still tuning in. Feel free to fast forward this bit and start the episode. <laughs> Oh, let's get into today's episode. James McDonald, ultra cyclist, incredible, inspiring guy. Listen to his story, listen to what he's achieved and what is coming up for him this year. James is an ultra endurance cyclist who holds the record for the fastest solo ride from John O'Groats to Land's End and back again, covering 2,711 kilometers in five days, 18 hours and three minutes. He has completed race across America where participants must ride 3,000 miles across 12 states. And by day, he works as a customer engineer at Google. James, welcome to the Super Sapiens podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My first question, my immediate question is, you work at Google, you have a nine to five and you do all these crazy endurance rides. How do you fit it in into your life? It isn't easy, I have to say. Uh, it it doesn't give an awful lot of extra time, and um, it is quite stressful in a way uh, because it, it you know things do kind of uh, come to a, a point. You know the pressure of, of time is is constantly there. I have to say it, it is uh, it is something I have to manage. So it comes across in things like you know um, trying to be really really efficient when I do get on the bike, uh, having everything set up. Because uh, even just waiting half an hour to mess around with something is just when you're doing it every day, you, you know, you can't do that. It, everything needs to be organized. But ultimately, it's um, I try to make things sort of fit together. So if, I'm, if we're going somewhere, an event, I'll maybe I can ride there and means that I get my training in and get to where I'm going as well. So there's this little things that you can do uh, to make it a little bit less, less obvious. And just to tug on that thread, you mentioned, you know, you don't want to mess around with things for that half hour before you ride. What are you doing that you see colleagues of yours not doing that allows you to not have that mess around period? Is it charging? Is it everything gets charged at the end of the ride or is it something more advanced than that? Um, It's a lot of little things. Like you're absolutely right. So as soon as 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 you finish a ride, let's say it's an outdoor ride, um, the first thing I'll do is literally take all the things that need charged off the bike and plug them in again. Um, I'm thinking about, right, um, get everything ready as close as I can, um, as well as I can, you know, immediately rather than, um, you know, coming back to it the, the next morning or something. Because if you're going to jump on a bike um, before breakfast, it, everything needs to be there. Right? You know, it's I have a very small window to get organized. And, and as soon as I'm off the bike, it's like get a shower and then get on my, at my desk. So it's. Yeah, I, I got used to now looking at my watch going, that's okay, I've got two minutes. <laughs> Not like 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Like, yeah, two minutes is enough to finish and get and get down and do what I'm going to do next. So so for people who don't know you, we've touched on your some of your achievements uh, in, the, in the intro, but basically to simplify it, you're a crazy guy who spends hours and hours on the bike at events. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about your 24-hour world record attempt on the track. 
Um, you know, we spoke about racing across America, 3,000 miles. But for you, a busy guy who works at Google, what does a week of training look like? Oh, um, well, actually, it's it's when you're working full time, um, the weekends are really important. So uh, a lot of the hours are, are compressed into the weekend. So that's quite hard because if the weather's bad, then there's no um, wiggle room. You know, so if, if you look outside on the Saturday and it's pouring with rain and it's due to do the same the next day, I can't push it back a day because then I can't I have no space to do the, the Sunday ride. So um, so weekends are pretty busy. Um, and I just hope the weather's not going to be too bad, uh, especially during the winter. Um, during the during the week, um, it's it's easier probably um, because most of it's indoors, so I can ride for maybe an hour before work, and then I'll ride an hour to two hours after work. Um, I used to ride after dinner, so it was like when my daughter was younger, it was it seemed like it was a better time for that to happen. But now she's older. Um, what I do is I get straight on the bike after work and I do my training and then uh, we sit down to dinner together a little bit later, but it means then it's done so I can relax. Okay. And obviously fueling is a huge part of this. So if you've got military precision in your day, where are you fitting in nutrients and, and how are you fitting them in and what strategies are you using there? Yeah, it's changed a lot that actually. Um, and I think I'll probably summarize it in that I, I make sure that I'm eating properly uh, during the day for especially if i've got a really difficult demanding ride at night so i'll have um you know i'll have little snacks and stuff at my desk and i'll make sure i'm drinking uh, the water that i need uh, because it does make a difference if i'm dehydrated for example it will make the workout more painful <laughs> and i also things doing little things like um before i start using super sapiens i would probably you know get get away from my desk get ready neck a gel or something like that get on the bike but now i know that's not the best way to do it <laughs> so i'll pre i'll eat before which is what i've just done because after this i'm going on the bike and and i don't want to be having that glucose kind of crash uh, which is what would happen after 10 minutes of being on the bike if i waited until you know eat just before the bike awesome that's such great insight You've had quite a lot of learnings, which we've touched on on your blog post on the website too, with regards to how Super Sapiens has changed your your behavior. And I want to get to that a little later on. But firstly, uh, let's start with where sports started for you, because you didn't discover cycling, if I if I understand it correctly, till later on in your life. This isn't something you know. You weren't an elite athlete coming through the junior ranks up to the elites. That, that's not the trajectory that you had. Is that correct? Yeah, that's fair to say that. Yeah, yeah. It. Um, I mean, I started. Well, I've always been on. I've always been riding bikes, um, but not anywhere near like what. What not not like what I do now. Um, it was all BMX when I was younger, uh, so it was all uh, fun. Um, did some competitions as well, but basically just loads of falling off and hurting stuff, you know, and breaking things. And um, so, so, what's changed? Isn't 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 it the same in the velodrome? It's still fun. Still falling over. And still breaking things, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's about the same. Um, and the speeds are higher, yeah, so it's all good. <laughs> but, you know, actually, um, joking aside, the, I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, miss the, or wouldn't, wouldn't do it differently because the, all that time when I was younger, in my early teens, uh, learning, learning the things on, on, on BMX um, has helped me uh, be really confident on the bike. Um, you know, whether it's, whether it's um, 
riding next to vehicles, um, feeding from vehicles, um, going down the mountain in the dark. Uh, I mean, sometimes we, we were doing a race in Texas and I was descending down off the mountain and the car couldn't keep up with me. And so I was descending in the darkness because I didn't have a decent front light. And I think that kind of confidence and sort of innate ability that it's natural has, has only really come from all those years I spent um, messing around with, with bikes when I was younger, really. Yeah, there's this, we talked a little bit to Bobby Eulich about this actually, about you know how we're seeing these people who are transcending different uh, facets of cycling, be it cyclocross and, and uh, you know, traditional road cycling, or whether it's Cam Worth who's doing you know, triathlon as well as, as cycling. And I think there's this concept in um, sports development of donor sports, so certain sports that donate to the other ones in terms of your sport development. And it's more of a team sport concept, but I think there's a lot to be taken there from endurance sports. So, you know, a background, you know, another example is, you know, we spoke to Emma Pallon-Brown and she's got a, a huge background in running and now she's killing it in triathlon because she's such a good runner, right? So these things... There's a very direct line there, as similar to you, which is your skills that you developed on a BMX, which is a very different constraint. It's a much heavier bike. It's smaller uh, in many ways. And so you move it differently, and that contributes to your ability to handle the bike you're on now. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, it just gives you that confidence to to do all those things, especially when you're doing, you know, these supported rides. You're you don't you're not stopping to change clothing or whatever so that you know somebody's get, giving you a jacket that, and you know and it's really good to be able to put it on whilst you're in the dark or if it's crosswinds or wherever you know i hear people talking about they can't have 80 section uh, wheels because they're not comfortable with it in the crosswinds and to be honest i know it sounds a bit arrogant but it doesn't bother me it never has so it's it's, you know, I don't have that concern. I don't have to worry about that. Um, I don't have to worry about when the weather's bad um, in terms of being, uh, if it's more difficult, you know, it's just one of those things that you just deal with, uh, which means I don't have that overhead um, and I can just focus on all the things that you would have to focus on if the conditions were fine. Um, so John O'Groats to Land's End is that is that a ride from the north of from the very su southernmost part of the UK to the northernmost part? Is that correct? You can go. You can start either direction. Actually, Guinness uh, don't stipulate which end you can you have to start and finish at. And so, based on the fact that most of the team were were in Scotland already, uh, lived in Scotland, there was no point in us going. To the far end the other far end of the country only to go back up and back down and then back home again so um we would have ended up with, you know, with more more crossings than we needed um so we did start at the top in the north in, in scotland but also it was good because the prevailing wind is um northbound so from the south and um you may as well have the the tailwind if it happens it didn't really happen but um if you you want to have that benefit coming home and get it, get the hard work done first, which is what happened. Um, so, but, but it was actually a, it was really originally based on logistics, just pure and simple. But uh, I mean, you wouldn't have that problem if you didn't want to do it there and back. You could have just you know started in the south and then headed home one way. That would have been an easier way of doing it. But overachiever, okay. But isn't this where where, where you basically discovered your your talent for endurance riding when you first got invited to to doing the event through a corporate you're working for yeah that that is right yeah i mean i back in before i'd done it first time in in 2011 which is the the end to end which is quite 
a kind of a, a well understood route for cyclists in the UK because you know the the tip of the country, the north to the south, or, or or the other way around, is something that a lot of people aspire to doing one day, um, usually as a trip, maybe like a two week trip or something. Um, but but I was working um, for Cisco at the time, and we were getting involved in um, the Deloitte race right, right across Britain. Sorry, and. Um, it was actually somebody, it was my manager that persuaded me to, to do it all. We had the opportunity and I said, there's no chance. I, I can't do all of it. I can maybe do three or four days, but uh, I don't. I didn't see myself as, as somebody that could do that. Um, but actually, I found as, as the days went on, it, it was becoming um, more and more comfortable, um, especially relative to everybody else. Um, and the, the fatigue wasn't affecting me in the same way as, as others. Um, I wasn't getting the same kind of sores and ailments and things, so it was actually becoming um, more pleasant, more more um, more more enjoyable, if you like, um, as we get further into and deeper into the event. And so, so now you've realised, hey, actually, this is this seems to be a bit easier for me. There's something here. How did you then sort of pull on that thread to to progress through into some more serious cycling? Well, I did it three years in a row. And so, you know, when the first time you do something like that, there's always doubt in your mind about whether you can do it. And uh, when you finally do it, you think, okay, that's what I did it the second year. And I had no doubts in my mind about it. It was the fact that it was more like, I can't not do this because I did it last year. So I'm here now to help other people and help them um, understand that they take it, you know, a little bit at a time. And so I was more thinking about helping other people and not thinking about myself. And I just thought, like, I've done this before, I'm going to do it again. And so it was even, it was more, it solidified my kind of thoughts that long distance cycling is actually probably something I can do. And and then after the third year where it was really just, um, okay, I want to see, what, wonder if I could do something else here. And that's, at that time I heard about the Race Across America. And it was just one of those things, sounds a bit corny, but I just couldn't get out of my head because I just thought, it would be so cool to just to say that you've done it just, you know, when you're older and you're in the old age pensioners home, you know, and you're talking to somebody and, <laughs> and you say, yeah, I did that once. And uh, it, it, it's the fact that it's across a continent and not a continent that I knew that well. Um, and so I just couldn't get out of my head. So I just thought, how, how do I put myself in a position to be able to do it? Cause it's really expensive to do. Um, how, how would, how do I get, to that start line and then we can take it from there. But really the hardest part, uh, as people will say, is, is getting to the start line and, and getting the funding and the people and everything else. Um, and yeah, so I set about a, a plan um, to do that. And, uh, and and then when I was able to do it, I, I just thought this is something really special. And uh, yeah, it was it was uh, an experience, should we say an adventure. And so what's your you know, one memory that really sticks out for the race across America? What's one thing, what one place, one person, one interaction, something like that? Oh, that's, it's really hard to say one thing um, because there was so many, there's so many things that positions and situations that, that you just don't normally find yourself in and people don't find themselves in. And yeah, I could tell you stories of all sorts of things, whether they're dangerous, whether there was funny or, or just, you know, um, out of the ordinary but um the one the one, the one thing that stands out or one thing that i'll tell you about that probably is easier to relate to than, than some other things um was was riding through monument valley 
um, which if you've seen it on TV or in films, um, looks spectacular. But if you are there, it's even more spectacular. But if you've ridden a thousand miles across from the from the um, the west coast to get there, it's even more spectacular. And that's that, that um, hour, an hour and a half, whatever it was, um, was it was such a special day actually. Um, that yeah, I'll, I'll remember that. Yeah, that, that was a really good day. That that's amazing. I love to hear that. Absolutely love it. What drives you through these events? I mean, you're doing events multiple days, you're in the saddle, riding through the night. Like, I have to ask you, like, what drives you when things get hard? Uh, I think that um, that it has to be um, that what you feel just now is not permanent. That's one thing, is that you can feel really bad, like <laughs> really fed up, uh, really tired, you know, what, whatever it is. But it's not permanent. It's not the the end, um, and it's just a phase. But that comes from experience. Um, it, it first, those those thoughts and feelings are um, overwhelming. Um, but with the support of the people around me, um, I've got through those. But as you learn that cycle of of um, ups and downs, then you can be aware of of the of the down. Say, okay, right, well, when's it going to change? Then what what we're going to do to make it change? And and so so that's a thing that I can manage, and I'm getting better at that. It's still not easy, but it's it's doable. Um, but but ultimately, I think the answer probably is is especially for supported events, is the team around me, is that I don't want to let anybody down. So um, it's what can they do to help? And then they, they especially in Ram, they always had an idea, they always had a thing. Um, uh, that this is this is something we, we're going to do, whether it's. All you need to do is get to uh, this stage, and you're going to get some dinner, or, or um, let's do something now. You know, uh, <laughs> we did we did pop quizzes, and we did we did like pub quizzes um, on, on Ram. You know, we 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 talked to each other about our interests and and all sorts of things um, to pass the time. So there's loads of different things that you can do to get through uh, tough times. Um, yeah, so so yeah, we we use every technique in the book, I think. <laughs> That's a really common theme across ultra endurance. You see this in ultra running as well. They always talk about, they always say like, you know, firstly, they usually say if you're feeling low, eat something, which is you know what you do before you have visibility. But, um, you know, they, they often say things like, you know, when you're, the crew's job is more fun, but more stressful. And, and the crew's job is, uh, it is so crucial. And you'll hear things like uh, Courtney DeWalt is one of the world's best ultra runners. And she says like her husband crews her a lot and he has to have a joke for her. He always has to have a joke at every aid station to help. Like, just it's one of the things they do. Or you know, the, the old, the other classic is, yeah, no worries, you can pull out. Just I to get you out, we just need you to get to the next uh, aid station or something like that. So it's just this this minute goes like, okay, yeah, happy happy for you to quit as long as you get to here because. And again, that tactic makes a lot of sense in the context of what you said, which is you're going to go through dark times. It's when, not if, and how long is it going to last, and how we're going to get through it. So if you can just grit your teeth and get through it then often things will look look up, right? And and those dark times are much more prevalent during the dark times, right? They're much more common oh. at night. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, but we had um, we had a contract. We had a verbal contract on, on Race Across America be- between myself and my crew chief. And there was rules in there. And and those are the sorts of rules. And one of the rules was around quitting and when is acceptable to quit. And we never reached that 
stage. There was never a point where no matter how hard it was, it didn't qualify. It didn't, it didn't meet the criteria. And so it didn't matter how much I whined. It didn't, much, it didn't matter how much I said I was tired or this, that, and the other. If it didn't meet the criteria, it's not happening. And I think that understanding before we go um, was one of the things that set us apart uh, to be successful. I, I, I truly believe that there's people who have failed at RAM, for example, and they've only failed because they haven't had that pre-arrangement with their crew. And so they're making it up as they go along. They're, they're just saying, I've got to the end now. I can't do anymore. But if you have previously agreed something with, with, with your team, um, that then that probably won't be the end of the road. Yeah, I, I was actually, that understanding, the, the difference between, because there's lots of talk, especially in ultra running around quitting, right? And, and whether it's a smart or a dumb thing or whether you should or shouldn't or all these things. But generally, if you have criteria and you know what they are ahead of time, and, and you decide not to finish, you're, you're generally relatively satisfied because you're like, no, no, I've made this decision. This is the decision to make and it's good. The people who really struggle with their not completions or the DNFs or whatever you want to call it are the people who don't have that and then quit and then sit there for half an hour and go like, oh, bugger me, I could have kept going. Like I should have yeah. I should have just kept going, right? So it's that having that criteria ahead of time and an agreement around that is so, it's so crucial. It's such a good bit of advice for people who are doing even, even a marathon. Like things that are longer than you've ever done, you need to know that it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done, right? That's by definition. Absolutely. And and one of the simple rules was um, you don't quit at night and you don't quit at the top of a hill. So there's little things like that, right? What makes no sense at all to quit. <laughs> if you're on a bike, you don't quit at the top of a hill, right? <laughs> it's, it was never going to happen, right? My question is, how do you convince your crew to come and help you on these crazy adventures? What's in it for them? Yeah, that is a good question, actually. And um, I have to say, you have to understand what what each person has in terms of motivations. They need to be there for the right reason. It needs to work for them. Um, it's not, uh, you know, you're not not going to force anybody, of course. So they, if if they explain, we always asked, what, why would you want to do this? What, what do you want to get out of this? And to make sure that they are there for the right reasons. And everybody's different. Everybody has different interests and different reasons to be there. But as long as they are happy that they are there for the reasons that they've stated and um, because things, you know, it will get really sticky at some times. And if you're there and you, you're there for the wrong reasons, then it's going to be difficult. So uh, you, you don't want people in the crew that are uh, wanting to leave, for example. So, uh, yeah, it's it's not been difficult, actually, to find people who want to do and things like this to help, which is quite surprising um, in a way, because it's a big chunk out of their their holidays or whatever and uh, and their time. But um, yeah, I I I have been really lucky to to um, work with people that really wanted to be there and uh, and and do everything. Like I mean, on Ram particularly, it was next level in terms of what the crew did for me. It was embarrassing in some state in some places you know um can you give us but, some examples <laughs> yeah probably yeah i mean um so one of the things we were good at, we i think our crew was good at was adapting um they we had a plan and then after like a day and a half we we knew that it wasn't right and so and one of the things was like just little things i would finish at, at the end of the day and i would um take maybe take my bike computer off and I would take, take my stuff off my helmet and 
shoes and stuff like that. And then when I was getting on the bike, I was getting my helmet. I was finding out what clothing I would need for that day in my starting in the dark. Um, and, uh, you know, basically dress myself, right? That changed. So they said, we, we're wasting too much time. Um, so you tell us before you finish what you're going to wear next. Everything will be laid out for you when you wake up. Um, you, you can dress yourself, but it'll all be there for you. You won't have to look up anything. Your your dinner will be there when you arrive. It will be literally on the table ready for you, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these things, literally the only thing I did for myself was was uh, the only things you don't want anyone else to do for you, right? So, <laughs> um, and That's what Zylan was hoping you'd say they did for you. That's what he was hoping for. I know him. I know he was he was waiting for like, oh no, they had to wipe That's this. That's what I was asking. That. How do you convince that. your crew to come in and do this for you? Well, I didn't. That was the thing. And I'll tell you, I know exactly where I was when they when they rolled all these new um this new plan out to me in the in the face of of um me being too slow, essentially, right? So they said, Look, we are losing time. We are. Um we're not efficient enough. We're 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 burning time here off the bike. You're okay on the bike, but we're just doing we're just so too slow. So they, they'd clearly gone away and worked it out. And I was descending Wolf Creek Pass, which is the highest point uh, in Ram, um, which if, is one of these massive big descents where essentially you just point the bike in the direction and you just sit there and do 70K an hour, right, without any difficulty whatsoever. And and so they just reeled off all these things that was going to happen. And whilst I just descended for, for 45 minutes, yeah, we're going to do this, we'll do that. Um, don't you worry. And I was saying, surely that's too much. You know, you can't do that. That's crazy. You know, um, and they were like, no, you're not doing anything from now on. Literally get stop, get off that bike. And then <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so we, we got our, our turnarounds really quick. And, and um, we did that. And we did some other things as well that um, made it um, just kept me moving, you know? Yeah, I think uh, so as someone who's done a bit of crewing and crewed other people, I can tell you it's very rewarding. Uh, and the crew get almost more competitive than the athlete. They are, they have more invested in your success than you are and more invested in your speed, especially around aid stations. So let them go. If you're an athlete, let your crew go for it. Lists are helpful if you're a crew member to having lists and stuff so that uh, and, and removing decisions from the athlete because they're so fatigued, it's not helpful and it adds to their mental fatigue. So just let them do everything. Like just have a list ahead of time or you know you create a list or you just remove decisions from the athlete and just go for it. You know, ahead of time, hey, James, what do you want for wet, wet weather? What do you want for cold weather? What What are your temperature thresholds? What are we doing here? All right, cool. Now I know. So now I can make those decisions for you. You're not even telling me what you're going to put on. I'm going to lay it out in the bed ahead of time. And we've agreed on what that's going to be. All right. Yeah, we, we definitely got to that stage um, after maybe halfway through, as I don't even need to say anything. My my coach was there. My crew chiefs were there. And, and like I was in the stage where I'm um, literally just following instructions. And um, and I think that to be a good ultra rider, and probably it's the same for other ultra in, endurance uh, sports, I don't know, but I'd imagine it's the same as the more compliant you are, the more willing you are to give give up your uh, autonomy and your decision-making um, for that event, the better it will be. Um, so as I've learned through these events, especially after Ram and doing um, the John O'Groats London back again, that where it was even more demanding because that event was diff more difficult than Ram is, is literally, it's like, I am no longer an adult <laughs> when I start this event. I am a child and you tell me what to do for the next however many days it is. And because you haven't got an ability to make any decisions, you just follow instructions and, um, and do your, you know, and, and do what you're there to do, which is to ride a bike.
James, what has been the toughest day for you on the bike so far and why? Oh, um, well, that's a question. <laughs> Trying to pick one from the many. <laughs> uh, there, there's, there's, a, there's a lot. Um, uh, there's, there's lots of times I've been really uh, down. There's lots of times I doubt myself. Um, but I don't think that they were probably the hardest days. I think the hardest, well, you'll have to narrow it down. Is it mental or physical? Mental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mental. Okay. Um, probably it, it will have been in Ram probably. Uh, cause I think that, cause although John Gross lands in that was physically brutal, but mentally it was easier cause it was familiar to me. Um, and we'd learned more, right. Uh, but in Ram, um, the, the hardest part was probably, um, the, we're talking about day three ish, that kind of time where I was so far behind that they basically said, you cannot sleep tonight. You ride all day. And instead of getting two hours sleep, you basically get nothing and you're going to ride another whole day. And, um, I had, I had done back to back before, but not back to back after a few days of not sleeping at all. So that was real new territory for me. Um, and it's, it brings real depth of fatigue, <laughs> like real, real, real fatigue that, that you, struggle to do anything um and it was through the night as well and so to get through that night was very tough um to watch the sunrise in front of you was was good um but i was so broken by that stage coming out of tuba city and uh ultimately out of the desert into the rockies that um i i really if somebody said to me you can stop now i'd have taken it uh, i mean i could barely stand up uh when i was when i would go for a quick bio break at the side of the road. I could, I, I actually almost, I do remember almost staggering over and I thought if I fall over now, it's fine. I'll just stop. <laughs> um, you know, but I was waiting for something to make me stop. I wasn't going to do it, but, um, I would be quite happy if something else stopped me, uh, cause that's an excuse then. Um, but that was a really, really difficult, um, 24 hours, but, and this is where the, the lessons learned come from. My crew were amazing. Like, um, I was so tired that I'd sort of resort, gone back into my shell, if I like. I wasn't speaking to anybody. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to stop, but I was just still riding on. But my crew were like, so what are you doing? Nothing. You know, I wouldn't even speak to them, to be honest, for a while. Um, but then they started asking me questions that I couldn't ignore. They were like, you know, yes, no answer. So I had to answer. And then they brought me out of my kind of... Uh, dark world of my own and um, started getting me talking and of course you start talking and then you're like hmm, maybe a bit hungry can I have something to eat and then you start feeling a little bit better um, and I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for them to like drag me out of my um, you, you know horrible depressed world that I was in you know um, to the point where the, the switch was turned when they said today we're going to Monument Valley and then that was it. Like, it was like that. It was like, I am not missing this. <laughs> That's cool. So maybe this is a good time then. What, uh, what's Project Kansas? <laughs> well, when, when way back in 2014, when I, when I said to, um, when I started this off and, and uh, a few people were helping me, um, um, friend, friend called Tony Court, 
um, was uh, who's a, a mentor for me um, and has been a, a real help uh, for me in, in, in a lot of these things and, and professionally too. Um, we were in the office late and we were talking about how what this could look like. We were talking about how we could raise the money and uh, um, the strategy behind it all, big whiteboard. And he said, well, you need to have a name. You, know, you can't just call it that thing, you know, or, or um, you know, that project or whatever. He says, you need to come up with a name. So um, we figured it, Project Kansas, because the mythology of RAM is that if you get past Kansas, then you'll probably finish because Kansas is after the Rockies and it's the bit, the big open flat bit in the middle, which can be affected by weather. And um, it's also a bit, it's a bit freaky kind of cycling through um, a flat, straight, boring, on you know, featureless landscape where you can see the curvature of the earth. Um, once you get through that, then it all becomes a little bit more interesting. And um, so we called it Project Kansas because um, you know, once you get there, you, you're probably finished. And it just to clarify, it's the 24 hour world record, right? Well, Project Kansas was the the, 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 the mechanism for all of my, um, or, or it, was the, it was the vehicle for all my ultra endurance events. Um, so that's the, that's the name of it. But then it's, it's been used for all of the events, including the 24 hour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I like that. Could we touch on fueling? Because I mean, at the moment, I'm an I'm a Ironman guy. I'm doing triathlons and I'm trying to work out how many carbs an hour to take in an event that's going to last me 12 hours around there. But like these multi-day events with minimal sleep, what's the approach um, to nutrition like for something like that? Yeah, I've learned I've learned a lot um, over over the last few years and knowing your glucose levels really helps to uh, understand what foods do what to you and when and and to try to stop that sort of uh, zigzag or, or up and down you know those big highs and lows uh, so keeping it in the middle where it, where it's more consistent is so much better than than, than not right um, and so a lot of it was learned just by trial and error um, I've my, my um, I know what my burn rate is for example uh, at the 24-hour pace um, and it's not what um, was estimated um, on, on it, you know, on tools like Training Peaks, for example, um, they overestimated my burn rate um, quite a lot. Actually, I have to say. Uh, so, if you try to keep up with your so-called calorie burn or calorific burn um, as an estimate, then you'll probably end up being sick. Um, so, because uh, uh, you're overfueling. So, we we kind of figured that out, out trial and error. Uh, that was before I had the Super Sapiens um, device to help me. Uh, but then since since then it's been fine tuning so it's it's more around um keeping it even um and also the preparation as i touched on at the beginning which is you know uh, eat the right thing at the right time before you start as well which is important um, so that you you don't have that immediate sort of first half an hour issue but in terms of in terms of multi-day multi-day uh, requires different strategy to multiple hours um because you can't you can't do the same thing uh, over multiple days so plus your body turns into a machine which is an amazing thing to experience um and uh, and you can't get it in 12 hours i'm sorry but <laughs> you, you need to do it for three days to see if you see if you break through that 
two and a half to three days. It's an experience that you can't, you know, every ultra endurance athlete has to has to um, feel it at least once, right? Um, I've been looking at what is that feeling? What do you mean by that? Because I am I can confidently say I'm never going to experience that. Can you explain it to me? What what do you mean by the body becoming a machine? It just prioritizes burning calories and doing what you're doing most in my case it was cycling um, and you feel literally invincible right you feel that that it, you can carry on forever that that you are so highly tuned that your body is starting to burn calories and process so easily that um, you're hungry all the time no problem eating um you feel strong and uh your muscles are, are, are okay they might be sore but they still work you can still feel that they work but you have no none of the none of the struggles to to keep the fuel coming in. You know, so you don't feel nauseous like you do the first couple of days. It's that initial ramp up into it, and and we've we we knew that this would happen in RAM. We 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 knew that the first two days are hard um, because of this, and also because of the temperature and the combination. But once you get out of it, it's it's amazing. You just put anything, and honestly, like you, you're just <laughs> the the. Um, within reason the um it, it's it's very good place to be and and it, it's happened on several of the long events i've done and it's it's a great feeling to to have what what are you eating i'd imagine you're not eating bars and gels on on day three what are you eating <laughs> well that's the thing is it depends on how long the event is right so for for ram it was proper food and we we wanted to do that right but if you were to tr- go to race ram like to win it then you probably won't be in that You'll be into the liquid and um, liquid sort of uh, energy. Um, it could be smoothies. It could be energy drinks. It could be um, uh, like Ensure and things like that, right? But but we didn't want to do that. Um, we didn't need to do that. So it was soft, softish kind of food, um, fruit, a lot of fruit, um, lots of very soft um, rolls with with just with you know um, normal kind of sandwiches and things. Honestly, that sounds crazy. I know, but. But when you're into the event and you're in high zone one, low zone two kind of effort, then you can, you know, you could have a pizza if you want, right? Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, you, it, it becomes even easier to manage your food intake because your body is so well tuned for it. Um, but I was having, I mean, one of the guys actually, uh, they joked at one point when I was accelerating and kind of taking passing people um kind of around the halfway mark and one of their teams came up to my team apparently i wasn't there at the time and he told me this and he said what's the he's doing really well what's his food nutrition strategy and um and he said he gave him some sort of vague excuse he said but i couldn't tell him all you're eating was was donuts and coffee there's a very classic story of mark spitz the american swimmer and mark spitz uh you know, won all the gold medals and he's standing there at, on the blocks. He's got his moustache, right? His famous Mark Spitz moustache. He's got the, the nice Ned Flanders looking thing for those who don't know Mark Spitz. Gets in the pool, swims, and this is at a time when everyone starts shaving, right? People are shaving their head, they're shaving their whole body and Mark Spitz is rolling around with his moustache and everyone's going, oh, isn't an increased drag? And famously his coach said, no, no. What it does is it, it moves the water away from his mouth to help him uh, breathe better, uh, which is absolute croc and he was just he was just mark spitz he was going to wear it the next year at the trials all the other swimmers have these mustaches of course because he's the best so we're going to do what he's doing right so sport is always copycat so yeah that doesn't surprise me yeah 
it, remi- it reminds me talking about food and nutrition. It reminds me of the other story around. We were sitting before the start line, and I was sitting with the other riders. Um, some of them were doing raw, um, and uh, we were sitting in the shade. And uh, this guy sits next to me, and he goes, um, "What's your what's your hyponatremia strategy?" And I'm like, mm, "What?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? How much? How much? Um, how much? Um, Salt, so are you having? And I said, uh, uh, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> right, my crew chief come over and he goes, right, you up. <laughs> so uh, he, was, he wasn't, he wasn't getting any. Don't get into that. He said, you know, <laughs> we've got a strategy. We're not listening to other people. <laughs> Good crew chief. Good crew chief. So then, maybe let's get more specific to the twenty-four hour attempt. What does your nutrition look like, like going into that for a couple of days? Oh, there we go. Yeah. So, so some of it is um, definitely from from what I've learned from from you guys, and so from yourself um, and uh, and others, in terms of carb loading. Yeah, but not just like the day. It's got to be a couple of days. Um, so it's going to be really simple food. So it'll be it will be proteins, but it'll be a lot of carbs in there, and it'll just be things that my stomach will like. Um, so I'll not be having anything. For me, I'll be no no red meat, for example because it doesn't really do agree with me. Um, it'll be nothing difficult to, to process. Uh, so I'll not be eating apples and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just it's just too kind of hard. So I will move sort of slowly into softer and, and more easy digestible foods because on the 24 then there'll be nothing to chew for, you know, <laughs> to put it to put it simply. Um, it, it will just be um, liquids. And so liquid only for the 24 hour attempt? Well, liquid and I don't know how, how, how liquid is liquid. So it will be liquid uh, as an energy um, drink. So I use um, high energy um, secret training um, mix, which is nigh on 400 calories in a bottle, um, which is pretty much all I need in an hour. Um, however, it just a, it's not a full 500 mil bottle. We actually only have 400 mil because uh, we've worked out that if I have 500 mil, I need to go to the toilet after a few hours. So um, 400 mil is enough. For the vapor sort of the evaporation of the sweat and through my breath to basically um balance and because uh, everybody asks about the toilet i don't know why they're so obsessed with it but uh, it's <laughs> can go for hours without going to the toilet if you're only drinking what you need and uh, so it will be energy from that plus one thing which will be uh, it's either half a banana or um it'll be a baby food pouch and maybe a gel if we need it um but we're trying to avoid it um because it makes stomach makes you kind of put, gives you a little bit of wind and things like that which is not it's a bit uncomfortable so um but yeah and that's all i need and it, we have a schedule i mean it's literally it's boring right but it, we have a schedule on the hour i get a bottle i finish it by quarter two i get rid of it and then uh, i go five minutes with nothing on the bike i get my um thing my, my my baby food or whatever it is that takes me about five seconds to eat throw that away and then on the hour i get another bottle um and we just repeat that's it so you weren't joking about becoming a child when you're doing all of these <laughs> events you're being fed a <laughs> bottle and, and baby food and you don't have to think and i'm pretty that's sure right. yeah, there's a lot of that yeah <laughs> um i was gonna say no nappies though so that's uh, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, They're not aerodynamic, so, so otherwise yeah. they would go. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So what is so is the first meal off the bike a steak then? Is that what is that what we're talking about? Given you avoid your red meat going in and, and you don't chew anything for twenty four hours, is it just listen, give me a steak, I need this? Mm. Yeah, that is a really good question, actually. Um if I think back from the, to the last one, um I um I, I crave salt after. Yeah. So it's usually crisps. <laughs> yep. Makes sense. Chewy, crunchy, nothing like yep. what I've just had, and uh, and salty. Um, so yeah, you probably see me in the velodrome having a pack of crisps. I'll probably after a bottle of water, that'll be um, that'll be probably the first thing. But then yes, just a proper meal. Um, probably will be pasta, uh, just to make it easy um, and now, try and get some. What flavored? What flavored crisps? <laughs> as long as it's salty, I don't think it matters. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I can't eat potatoes, so I always have to have um, sweet potato um, crisps or, or something similar, or a rice rice cakes or something. But yeah something savory um james forgive me for my lack of research but last time we spoke you were thinking of doing a second attempt at the 24-hour record has that happened well um in a perfect world it probably would have happened but i managed to get covid for a second time and uh, everybody else around about round about me seems to seem to have recovered in two weeks but it took me nigh on four months to get over it so to say that this year, 2022, has been up and down, I think is probably fair to say it's been down and up, maybe. <laughs> um, it, it started off, I went through the winter last last winter, doing a lot of training, more than I've ever done before, um, because the plan was to come out of it. Uh, for, for geeks that know about training um, with a, a CTL of over 100, which is pretty difficult to train in Scotland to get that because it just takes a lot of time. So all my training was leave. Well, I was always getting home in the dark, basically every time I went out, right? So it was, I had to pack and take a backpack with me and, and get back in the dark every every time or go out in the dark if it was during a week. So, um, but, but I worked hard over the winter and came out with a CTLO of 100 um, and then started doing some of the, events that we'd planned, um, like supported events, riding from home to Manchester, those sorts of things, which is for people that don't know is, is about 200 miles and um, things like that. And then I got COVID and basically from April all the way through to end of July, I couldn't do very much at all. I just struggled with um, trying to recover and go out training and then it would wipe me out for a few days and then I would try again and um, probably tried too hard I guess that's the, that's the lesson um, and eventually eventually a doctor said to me she said you're just not well you just need to start behaving like you're not well um, and then I decided that's it I'm gonna stop I just do stop do stop doing anything everything I did I did work at home and, uh, and as soon as work finished that was me I put my feet up didn't do a thing I didn't do a thing outside of work, um, went to bed early and for two weeks I did that and I started feeling better. So that's the long answer. Um, but so we basically had to push it back. And so from end of July, um, I've been able to train properly and now um, really back on track. So, so the 24 will be April next year. Very cool. Um, and I mean, cool that you're back on track, sorry. Not very cool that it happened, so apologies for that. Um, good insight, though, into you know immune function of an athlete, right? And especially when you've got a high chronic training load, that makes it, uh, you know, immune function is, is challenged at best. 
Um, so maybe let's go into what happened in the last 24-hour attempt, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. How did it go? Well, it was, it was more like a 15-hour attempt then. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. Can, I, can um, I just clarify quickly for people who might not know, we might assume everyone knows, the 24-hour attempt is you riding on a track for 24 hours trying to get to, what is the current distance record at the moment? 941 kilometers indoors. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay, cool. I just wanted to bring some context. Carry on. And so, because yeah, no, right. I, I know you, James, and I know you know this, what's the average speed? <laughs> it's 39 point, I think it's three, uh, although this is where um, I can, um, pass on responsibility to others to make sure <laughs> so um it's i think it's 39.3 or 39.6 i can't remember but anyone with a calculator will be able to work it out um so 941 divided by 24 um so, but we will 30, ride it i'll ride faster than that um, yeah so roughly 39 kilometers an hour which is about uh oof, i don't know what that is in miles but many many miles an hour uh something it's like 20 something miles an hour um 25 or something like that, yeah? Oh, maybe yeah, we should thereabouts. work. Actually, you're oh, right, because yeah. a, marathon's, a marathon's 26 miles, so you're right. It's uh, And that's 42 kilometers, so you're right. It's about 25 miles an hour. Mm. Yeah, I, people will be like, why does he not know this? But you know what? It's not your job. <laughs> your job is to push the pedals. Push the pedals, <laughs> drink the fluids, not pee, and uh, and get get it done. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I was I was, well, I would say I was well prepared for the last one. But and here, here's all the excuses, right? But uh, it's reality. Is when on the day, the weekend that we had, it was suddenly really warm. Uh, real high pressure came over um, the area. People were outside walking about with t-shirts on. It was May, early May, so it shouldn't be that hot in in Wales, in the UK. But it was suddenly really, really hot, and uh, inside the velodrome was baking hot. And so basically I started because we couldn't change it. We got everything set up for that day and um, the temperature was just high. I, higher than ever, I'd ever ridden in, in the velodrome before. And essentially what it does is it puts your heart rate up. And so my heart rate was about 150 to 155 doing the speed that I needed to do. But as, whereas in training, it was 130 to 135. So there's a big difference because um, your body's got to cool and mm. um so they opened the doors to try to give me some cooler air which helped a bit but it didn't really help enough um so the first eight hours i was riding way harder than essentially i i should have had to ride um and i was ended up at eight hours um a kilometer down so four laps down on on pace but still loads of time to for things to change um, but um, I slipped on the track and uh, there's all sorts of theories <laughs> about why, um, but I came off coming out the corner um, and uh, landed on my side, you know, and then um, came to stop um, suddenly. Well, not that suddenly. <laughs> took me about, <laughs> took me about 100 meters to stop, but there you go. Um, it was... Yeah, so I thought that was it finished, you know, you kind of eight hours, just let, I lost all the skin down my right-hand side. So that was it, I thinking, fine. But then the team were like, no, 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 just we'll get your bandage up, we'll get you back on. And of course, I was in team support mode. So, you know, I don't think 
I just followed instructions. I got back on the bike and I remember getting back on the bike going, what am I doing? Like, what's going on now? Um, and they said, oh, you're going to go for the thousand kilometer record, which is longer duration, longer time, longer distance, sorry, and longer duration. Um, because you can do that because you've lost 25 minutes, 30 minutes of getting bandaged up and stuff. And there's me sitting there thinking, going, is that longer? Because I was so like out of it, you know, like, because you just, you just get, it's not very easy to think about things. Um, so I was thinking, that's longer though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it took me about, about four laps to figure it out. And I'm like, what, well, isn't that longer though? Yeah, that's longer, but you've, you've got like 20, was it 31 hours or something to do it in? And I'm like, but that's even longer than 24, isn't it? So um, anyway. <laughs> so they were giving me all this, like, you know, but you only have to ride at this speed. And anyway, so, but what happened was ultimately um, I can put up with a lot of pain. Um, I know that, uh, but it was getting really painful because because I couldn't sit. I'd lost the skin of my right forearm. So I was leaning on the skis on where the skin wasn't anymore. So it was pretty painful. And um, so I was sitting with my forearm further back um, so that I could try and lean on my wrist and my right hand. And then of course I was banging my knee against my elbow. And so I was twisted to try to avoid me banging my knee. And then that gave me a sore back. Um, and then I could feel pains coming up through my back into my back of my head. Um, so it gave me painkillers, but that only did, lasted for a while. It just become it just became really, really painful. Um, so, I started slowing down. Um, I found it difficult to hold the line because uh, if you go slower, that becomes these bikes are designed to go fast, not to go slow. And um, so the guys were trying to encourage me, but I knew that you can't encourage somebody like that to that level when you've got nine, ten hours still to go. I knew it wasn't sustainable, um, so I just had to stop. Uh, but we learned an awful lot about what we shouldn't do in those circumstances, which. Um, would be would be very useful to do a wrap up of of that. Um, we did a lot right, but but we definitely did some things wrong, uh, which we won't repeat. So, um, we went. I went back on the track. Well, with COVID hit pretty much soon after that, right? You know, so it was COVID was was the first COVID, you know lockdowns and everything that um, scuppered me going back a year later to do it. So so the velodromes were closed and everything. That's why it's been so long. Uh, from 2019 when I did the first one to get to where I am now. Um, but we were convinced that we'd got some things psychologically wrong. Uh, we were convinced about the strategy was wrong. Um, the, there was several things. The fueling was wrong. It wasn't as good as it is now. Um, bike wasn't good enough. Uh, there was loads of things. Um, so, But ultimately, the biggest change was mental. Uh, so I know now what it feels like and I know what motivates me and I know what works and sort of the team and we, we're, we've been doing that. So I've been back on the track um, since last summer doing the different distances and it's been so much better, <laughs> so much more fun. And um, every time I've been on the track, we've hit our targets. So uh, it's it's really positive, actually. Awesome. Now, I've read you describe a 24-hour attempt as pain management, force-feeding, and trying to ignore the nausea. So uh, what's the worst part of a 24-hour attempt then? Of you know, Maybe not those three, maybe it's something else, but what's the worst part? The worst thing by far is nausea. Like pain is fine, right? Pain's like, you can, you can 
rationalize pain, even like going to the dentist and that and not getting anesthetic, you know, you can put up with it. You can try and think of other things, but nausea is awful. So, and, and that's the difference. We, cause we figured out what, what causes it with, for me, and we figured out how to mitigate it, uh, which I'm happy to share, like, but it's, it's, it, it's little things, but they really do add up. But yeah, the nausea, if we can, if we can make sure to avoid the nausea as much as possible, then, then that will be a big win. <laughs> what was causing it for you? Um, well, so first of all, you don't overfeed and it's actually slightly better to be, to be, um, to, to running, run lean, right. Um, uh, as, as I call it. So I'd rather be, I'd rather be semi bonking <laughs> than feeling sick. Um, because it's easier to come back from. Um, so, so don't overfeed, find out what, what, um, what your sort of threshold is for, for either tolerance or, or what you need. Um, the other thing is every fifth, instead of taking this as one big 24 hour event, we, we, we break it up. And that sounds, that sounds dead simple, but we, we approached the first 24 hours attempt as 24 hours, which felt huge to me. It was just like, oh, I'm only four hours in. I've got 20 hours to go. You know? like, it's just too hard. Like, it's too hard to do that. So we've broken up our training sessions into targets. Um, so first target would be, like, say, four hours. What's the record for four hours? What? It doesn't have to be the world record. It could be my age group record because the world record is off pace so we did that we did what's the what's the um my age group record target for that so let's go for that and um do it as an event and even pushing towards the end right which you would not shouldn't do like you shouldn't be at 300 watts 350 watts whatever the last sort of 10 laps but i would do that and then i'd have such a buffer that i could then spend the next five minutes faffing about you know and speaking to the crew and sitting up and uh, looking about and re bringing myself back into the real world again right because you get really focused on your on the black line you don't even you know you're in a different world right so so it's it's switching off from that and then and then it's like right okay now you're back on it so what we're doing now we're doing the next ride which is like i don't know uh, 200k right so whatever it is um, so we're focused on the 200k record. So how many laps have we got to go to that? 50 laps, let's say. So so it's countdown 50 laps. Get to 200, right? Ease up, sit up, talk about something else. Um, completely detach from from the bigger picture, and then go again. So that's one thing. The other thing is just very simple. Is every 15 minutes I get to I get a free lap. I can do what I like. So I can go up the the banking if I want. I could literally not pedal a hot well i have to i have to pedal like <laughs> but um uh, but like i can do what i like um for one lap <laughs> and, and you would believe you would believe how important that is one lap and then i'm back on it again so it's little things like that that have um made a big difference that sounds so smart breaking it up like that because i've just had an epiphany mr slow over here you just realize almost a thousand kilometers on the track do you know how many circles that is like i live in south africa that is like driving from johannesburg to cape town which is very far apart it's an hour and a half like on the track and like, that's so different to let's say ram you know where you're going across america and you have different challenges of riding through the night and whatever but you have different scenery and stuff that can distract you through different periods of time but 
that kind of distance on the track just from a mental point of view man kudos to you for taking that on yeah well we don't yeah it's like a never-ending road so if you try not to think about it as a lap because it only takes 22 seconds to get around at that speed at that pace and so you can't think of it as a lap it's more a big long road if that makes sense um but what we do you can't you can't you can't have 4,000 of something to do and you can't have 24 hours of something to do. It has to be smaller. You have to chunk it. It has to be, yeah. And and so I'll, I play little games like how close can I get to the, the bumpers that stop you from going down below the uh, the Cote d'Azur um, and I, I ride as close as I can to them sometimes just to um, entertain myself. <laughs> and then they'll know what I'm doing it because I'll clip one and it'll go flying and they'll be like, are you doing that thing again where you're trying to ride as close as possible to the bumpers? Like, yes. Because uh-huh, uh-huh. it's it, it, it ways of amusing yourself. So um, there's very little to do that. Um, but the biggest part of it um, from an amusement point of view is is the comms to, um, to the crew. So I can speak to them and they can speak to me and we can, I can listen to music. And that is huge. That's so good. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. Do you have a limit where you're not allowed to listen to music where it's like, listen, I can't pull out the big guns until this time. Like it's a reward. Yeah, we do use them as rewards. Yeah, absolutely. And, and myself and Toby have um, a similar taste in music. And we, we talk about, we talk about the music. We talk about um, like, what do you want to do? Listen to next. And I'm, I'm usually like, I don't know. Um, what about this? Oh, that'll be good. Right. Let's get that on. Right. Okay. And then we'll talk about the track. We'll talk about, how it feels um god you'll hear us singing sometimes right you know so um we're, we're, it's it's like without that i couldn't do it i just i wouldn't do it so that's that's huge right and his concentration span is ridiculous um to be able to do that for that length of time so uh, i don't think anyone else could do that that's cool i like that um james before we get into the restaurant can we just touch briefly um, on your learning since you started using the Super Sapiens app, like what is your favorite part of the app? I've talked to you about this before. <laughs> well, at first you use it to to see what happens, yeah. So you you eat something and it goes up and you go, oh wow, <laughs> yeah, that's real and it's quick. Um, so yeah, so so you get to know your body, you get to know foods and what they do and when and and that they do things differently at different times of the day, yeah. Um, like in the morning, you'll get a massive rush from breakfast. But if you had the same thing at dinner time, it won't be as big. So I've learned things like that. Um, but actually, the two biggest things that I use now, because I know how to manage foods in smaller quantities more often on the bike, instead of having a whole banana, I'll have half and wait five minutes and ten minutes or have and have the next half. Little things like that, which I would never have done before. Like I always thought the stomach was like a storage facility. <laughs> It's like, get what your food is in your back pocket, get it in your stomach because it's there and it'll work. But that doesn't work like that. <laughs> um, so I've learned to manage that better. I've, 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 um, I've, that, that's helped a lot, but that's actually, so you can learn it without what looking. I can do it blind now in a way. But what I do use it mostly for now is um, glucose exposure during the day, um, which is eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night, Let's have a look. All right, I'm short. Okay, what can I eat now? <laughs> so I have to catch up and I make sure that I catch up. Um, so that'll be when I'm having 
um, sort of sugar, um, well, like puddings and chocolate and those sorts of things, yeah, um, without any qualms about it at all because I need to hit my glucose intake level for the day or the, the limit or the minimum. Um, and the other thing I, I look at it is, is did it look, look, go below a certain level during the night? Because that's, a, as, a, as you guys have told me, a telltale sign that you've not eaten properly the day before and your body is going, you know, when it's in its lowest state, it's it, the glucose level goes um, it's too low, then you, yeah, I've done something wrong. So, and I'll now try and accommodate the next day, but it's, I, I look at that and I look at my whoop data as well in the morning. Um, and uh, I use I use both yeah, to, to to change my behaviours. Yeah. And so, can you run through? I mean, we've talked a little bit about this before, but I I, I use this example all the time about how your fueling changed on the bike during your twenty four hour attempts, because this this is fascinating to me, given what I understand of aerodynamics. Yeah. Um. So it's the theory originally was get it down, you get back into that position, don't move you know it's so kind of precise um take all your food now get into that position don't move just ride around but that means you've got a big intake a big spike subsequent drop and then somewhere after that you might have something in the middle that's about right but by that time you feel crap you've um you've had all that kind of um ups and downs so what we do now is it's more like it's worth being slower initially, if you like, to sit up more, to eat more often and little, um, because ultimately it's faster. Because if you're not comfortable on the bike, you're going to be slow. Um, if you're comfortable and full of energy, um, you're going to be fast and also um, fast without trying. So uh, it's it, it's definitely worth it. It's definitely worth the, the effort of, of, in this case, sitting up eating properly at the right time more often and then getting back into that aero position rather than just sitting there the whole time and getting slower. Yeah, such good insight, such good insight. And for those interested, I think you said you've got 100 calories in your bottle, uh, sorry, 400 calories in your bottle, which is about 100 grams of carbohydrates, plus then you top up with something else. Um, yeah, it's, so a, it's a little bit, there a little bit under that. It's about 350, um, yeah. but, um, and then, yeah. and then the, the little extra thing, if you like, the half a banana, the the the, the um, baby food it could be yogurt, it could be something like apple or something. Uh, that'll be about seventy something like that. But the bananas every other hour, by the way, just <laughs> even more geeky because <laughs> uh, it's um, soluble fiber, so uh, it helps stomach. Yeah. yeah. Did you, cool. did you train Very the cool. gut? Uh, I want to get to the rush round next, but did you train your gut to be able to to handle those kind of numbers? Because those are big numbers that I can't get close to. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's you just have to, uh, it, it's not easy at first. And, and I got it wrong loads of times before. Um, but yeah, you, you have to, you have to try it. You have to stress it. Um, and like tonight, I'll be out. Um, for an hour and a half, and I could get away without eating, but that's not the point because um, I need to make sure that my body's used to the conditions of of um, pushing hard because tonight is a, a harder ride than than yesterday, for example. Um, but I still need to do what I'm going to be doing for longer, and I need to do it all the time. And and so yeah, that's part of learning, and it's part of getting your body used to 
whatever it is you want to adapt it to. So what would you take on tonight's ride? Well, I could have got away with nothing. So, uh, but that's that's the that's the easy way of doing it. But tonight it will be um, uh, it'll be a banana and um, probably well, I've got little soft cakes here. Um, so, and of course, my default uh, a big energy drink, which is which is all ready to go. Um, so I'm going to have probably more calories in than I will burn tonight. Um, so it means that I'm, when I finish, I'll not be hungry and I can go and have a normal dinner instead of eating more than I need. Very good. Very interesting. David, should we get to the rush round or do you have any more questions? No, no, that's great. I think uh, that's some, some really good insights there for all ultra endurance athletes. Uh, you know, some some stuff there for the geeks who love the cycling, some stuff there for the sports scientists who love the, the ins and outs. So. But the most important part now, James, this is this is crucial, the rush round. So uh, we'll start off. Uh, what, what's your nickname? Do you have one? No, I don't have one. I've, I've, I, I, I need someone to give me one. Yeah, well, if you're in Australia, it would almost certainly be J Mac. That's uh, that's how the Australian. I'm not cool enough to have a we'll nickname. Mac, uh, Mac is. Yeah, yeah, of course. Now, this is actually the point of the podcast where we might decide to kick you off. How do you? I think I know the answer, and I think that's why you're on the podcast. Do you scan over or under? When you scan your sensor, is it over or under? Do you go over or under? Oh, man, where, you, where would you do under? <laughs> I, exactly. You said, Correct answer. You, you said you say. went cool. You were wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you take your coffee? Uh, with a bit of milk. Okay, very good. Very What's good. your highest event glucose score? I'm sure you've hit 100 before. I have not been anywhere near it because um, intervals kill that, and, uh, and so <laughs> most of the time, I am I, my scores are terrible because um, they're on and off, on and off, on and off, and so um, yeah, I, I've got to the high eighties. Uh, I don't think I've ever been in a ninety um, because even in a long event, there'll be bits where you're slow, and then and I was I explained this to my coach Gary, um, and I was said, look at this ride i said look at look at like I, I, three and a half hours in or whatever first i stopped filled up my bottles sat on a park bench ate something it was there for five minutes then look at my glucose score and it was like yeah. on the Good in the floor on the floor <laughs> so we have something coming in the app that may uh, may help you a bit more so that's coming yeah probably end of the year or so so i think you'll like that I won't say too much more, but uh, we have some cool stuff coming. Okay, cool, good. So, with touching your highest score, what's your lowest been? Ooh, ooh. Um, I probably tried to block those things out, um, but yeah, I've definitely seen twenties. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's above ten. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad. 10. Um, yeah. What's your favorite carbo-loading meal? Your favorite prime meal? Oh, it'll be pasta. Yeah, yeah. It'll be like chicken pasta. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And when are you having your last meal before an attempt, like, or before something like that? Uh, for like the 24 timing of it. Yeah. Um, I will be about, uh, yeah, we did it last time. It was probably two hours before. Um, and then that's it. Yeah. Um, okay. And we talked already post race or post, uh, post event crisps, water, uh, and then some pasta. Yep. So, crisps uh, and water. You can't okay. beat it. 
What is your what is sense a day for you? Oh, um, it's just whenever it runs out. Um, do people have a, a day? Do they? I, I just do it when it runs out. Well, every two weeks. So I, I'm very specific. I put mine on on a Monday. I want I want Monday as a fresh sense a day because then I've got my Sunday run in. Monday's not a big training day for me. Tuesday we can go again. So I'm Monday. I'm a Monday guy. Oh, so you're probably, you're probably wondering why, why I don't have a routine. So I like to have a day off. Okay. I, I mean, I don't know if that's politically correct, like, but uh, I, I like to have, so when it runs out, I take it off and I leave it, like maybe at least until the next, like if it's in the afternoon, I'll leave it and I'll put it on in the morning. I like to have um, a time just to kind of give give things a little bit of a rest, uh, the skin. Yeah. I used to alternate between sense. arms, but I actually just always put it on my left one now. Oh, okay. So you're left arm only now? Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I'm an alternator. Uh, I think many people alternate, but that makes sense. If you're going to go same arm uh, and you don't have enormous guns like Xylan, uh, you need to give the skin some time to rest. Yeah, so that, that's what I do. Yeah, but I've been I've been over one one side or the other. I actually think it's better to manage only one place where you need to be careful. If you like, when you're taking clothes off and stuff. I also tend to give it a a, a break. Um, I've just done Ironman Kona World Championships, and coming back home, you know, I've got two weeks off now, and I've been sick, and I'm not training, and when the sensor expired, I actually didn't put a new one on. And then working on all this content, interviewing people, learning about their glucose trends. After two, three days, I go, oh, I'm missing out here. And I, I ate that thing this morning. I don't know what it did to me. I hate not having that visibility. And I rushed last night to put a new one on again. So I also give it a break. But then I really, really miss having, having that visibility and always tend to rush to go get it back on. Um. <laughs> James, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, man. Really enjoyed chatting to you. We've chatted a number of times before. We wrote a blog post on you on all your achievements. And this was, again, delightful. And yeah, thanks for interrupting your lovely time in Mallorca to come and chat with two goofballs over here. <laughs> no, no, it's a pleasure. It's, uh, it's always good to talk to you. And uh, it's... Thank you so much. I'll get changed and go out um, on the bike. Now. Where can... <laughs> One question is, you know, if people are interested in following, obviously we'll, we'll link to your Instagram and those sort of things when we put up, um, when we put a post out about this, but is there anywhere else people can follow along in terms of um, your attempt, your 24 hour attempt in April? Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely put something where we're talking about um, live streaming it. Um, so there's different, I'll have to pick YouTube obviously. And so, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we, we have talked about doing a, a live stream of some sort and uh, we did have the data being published the last time, which I'm sure we'll be able to do again. And I'm working with a, 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 another company um, called Apps Broker, who are doing some really cool stuff on the, the data and the analytics behind it. So um, yeah, we'll 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 have to re we'll release some details, you know, sort of near the time. But we're going to do something along the lines of it. Um, yeah, watching the video was a bit boring to so just see me going past all the time. But um, we'll we'll stream the data as well and. Um, we were thinking of even streaming some of the audio, uh, but we'll have to be selective on that one. I was going to say, I want to hear you. I want to hear your song choices. Publish your song list, and and I want to hear you singing along to it. So, like, this is this is what I'm here. For. Oh well, this is where me and Toby have a very good um, trusting relationship. That he does not divulge some of the things that we say, and uh, uh, because it would, um, it's not always the right thing. <laughs> we've, we've established that you're a baby, and they feed you, and they give you bottles and baby food. I want to hear you whining and 
and crying and how you get through that uh, eight hours into oh, no, there's no there's no crying and and in regards to playlist loads of people have asked me that actually um and i tried to publish it on uh, i tried to mention it you can't you can't put comments like, like that on youtube but if you look on the projectkansas.org uh, website um i have got some playlists uh, listed there um and then people can watch it or listen to it and cringe if they like <laughs> very cool and there'll be details on projectkansas.org for the attempt or you go instagram or both both yeah um, the project kansas uh, website actually links to a new domain i've got which is ride 24 but it'll, it'll it'll redirect you to that um so the general kind of stuff is on the website but instagram is where i post Cool. All right. Well, we'll make sure to link to all of that so people can follow along. Zyla and I will be texting about it when it's happening because we do that with pretty much anybody we're interested in following along. We'll be texting about how you're going and how you're looking. So it'll be good. Well, you can you can come along and speak to me if you like uh, during an attempt or even um, we do actually have a technology where you could dial in and actually talk to me. And we have done that from, from the track. That's Very cool. cool. I, uh, I might come for a sing-along. <laughs> sing cool. Thank you, James. Have a great day. There we go, James McDonald, ultra cyclist. Man, the stuff that he's doing on the bike is just mind-blowing. I mean, I've got an annual ride with mates where we ride 220 kilometers from here to Plattsburg Bay, and we think we're amazing when we do that, but the stuff that he's doing just blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, that's only five hours of riding for him, so take what you want from that. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy, but cool to hear some of the insights that you know. I think a lot of people can take away, not just... Uh, ultra endurance cyclists, but any ultra endurance athlete, or even somebody who's doing a half marathon or a marathon, the principles are the same. The time course is different, though. Um, just to touch quickly on some of the things he was talking about, one of them was finding value using the Super Sapiens app in trying to avoid having a variable glucose um, trace. And he's used the app to sort of keep his glucose more stable and find that he feels much better and performs much better when he does that. There's a lot uh, of people who say something similar. So lots of people think that, you know, uh, they, they feel that effect as well. There's a little bit of research suggesting maybe that this is the case, not so much in a sporting sense, but it does make sense in terms of fuel availability and keeping relatively stable energy metabolism, trying to keep glucose pretty stable. So uh, I tend to agree with him. I mean, he, he learned the hard way that the stomach is not just a storage vessel. It's, uh, it's more like a sink. You can't just clog it up and then hope that it drains properly. You need to feed it appropriately. It has... You know, it plays a role in digestion. It you know breaks up the food mechanically as well as chemically. So you, you can't put too much in if you want to. You know, you're better off with some of the smaller stuff some of the time. So lots of learning there for him and and for all of our listeners. That was a lesson to me. I hadn't thought of it that way before. The stomach, um, David. I wanted to ask you, what is your take on what he was talking about? Calorie estimates on platforms and it, him learning the hard way that it was way off for him. So. Well, this makes complete sense to anybody who understands how these these estimates are made, as well as who understands training. So let's start with how calories are estimated. These are there are a number of ways to do it. Uh, one of the ways is to use what they call METs or metabolic equivalents. So existing is one MET, and then different amounts of activity have different amounts of METs, right? So cycling is whatever, and running is whatever, and walking is whatever, and these are consistent amongst people. And it's a multiple of your metabolic equivalents. And you can use this to estimate calories. And this is what some platforms use. So then it's just duration and activity they use. 
Now, something like training peaks probably uses more like heart rate, um, although they may use power as well for a cyclist. But if you're using heart rate, then you're estimating based on a certain heart rate that, you know, metabolic rate is whatever, and therefore your burn is whatever, right? And then the final one is, uh, you know, probably using external measures of power, right? And then you've got pure work done in joules, right? And that's a very mechanical thing is to move X weight, Y distance, given these mechanics, it's very straightforward. The reality is though, that's not, that's only the case if you're got a very stable system. There's all sorts of variables in the middle that are very different uh, in terms of just what you're expending, not, not even then the difference between what you're expending and intaking. So one of the things that training does is it makes you more efficient, right? Your running economy goes up or your cycling economy goes up. Therefore, you're burning less calories for the same work. So very quickly, very quickly, it becomes very, very clear that these things are not going to be super accurate. So um, interestingly, James works on calories, and that's probably a reflection on him being an ultra endurance athlete because ultra endurance athletes generally do calories because when they go to multiple days and you start looking at calories because they're getting it from multiple sources of macronutrients, whereas single day athletes often look more at just carbohydrates because it's more relevant. And I think we've talked about this on a previous podcast is, you know, once you go that second, third day, yeah, it needs to be carbohydrates. So um, yeah, I think that reflected in that as well. So he uses calories, but, but most people would use carbohydrates. Um, he was also talking about experience he had there, which is getting sick after a high training load, which is, I think, something that uh, you stood out for you as a doctor and <laughs> you love talking about the stress on the that training has on the immune system. Yeah, so there's, there's very good research on this. Uh, the rates of upper respiratory tract infection, so, you know, viral or bacterial upper respiratory tract being sort of nose, throats, uh, you know, and that can always track down into the lungs. Uh, the rates of infection are actually quite high in endurance athletes because of immune stress and, you know, and high breathing rates through the mouth often. So your nose does a good job of humidifying air as well as um, catching a lot of pathogens. So when you're training a lot, you're at increased risk. And this is why if you see athletes, particularly around the Olympics, they'll be meticulously cleaning hands and doing all sorts of stuff to try and avoid illness. That includes when they're flying and all those things. And this is pre-pandemic. I'm not even talking about post-pandemic and, and COVID, but um, so there, there is good, uh, research there and there's some stuff, there's some other strategies, there's some evidence that probiotics might help in this as well to prevent some of these illnesses. Hopefully I've successfully avoided, uh, recording my, capturing my insistent coughing on, on this episode. Um, but that's actually what I'm suffering from at the moment. I've just returned home after racing in Kona, four flights, multiple time zones. Um, I was sick going into the event because I was traveling throughout Europe while trying to train and now I've been sick again with the respiratory infection coming home after the event again and yeah I I don't know the uh, I don't have the medical insight that you do but I have the first-hand experience to agree with what you were what you were saying and just you're know, struggling to shake it and probably just have to be patient yeah, I mean, look, that's what happened with him, right? When he finally took, when James finally took some time off, he finally recovered a little bit. So don't forget that you, to fight infection, your body needs resources. And if all the resources are being spent on training and recovering from training, you're not going to really fight much off. So, uh, yeah. One other thing he was talking about was overeating. You know, he'd rather be close to bonking where you can come back from that versus over being overfed and struggling with nausea. That was interesting. I think that's a reflection of his precision level, uh, right? So I think in general, and then what he's trying to do in terms of 
his event in a 24 hour event. So I think in that case, you know, he said, Oh, it's pretty easy to come back from a bonk. It's like, well, I think in his case, it might be if he underfeels a little bit, he can start to feel it and he's pretty in tune and, and he knows roughly what he needs. And it's a little bit easier for him rather than going the other way and, and overestimating and, and doing a bit much where again, he really struggles with nausea. Uh, he's also, you know, he's a very efficient cyclist given what he does. So it's also bears, bears concerning that, you know, if he goes a little bit red line, he can probably tolerate it better than the rest of us can. So he, yeah, I think for him, he's right given his circumstances, but I think you know, even in something like race across America, if he was to do that again, he, he might approach that differently and say like, yeah, probably eating a bit more is probably better for me in this case, but given the precision and his level of ease in which he can get nutrition and all those things and the velodrome, I think it makes sense. And then he also talked about which, you know, ex there's no substitute for experience is learning, you know, to break the 24 hour track events up into different segments just to handle it better mentally. Yeah, this is the only way to get through serious endurance events. You can get through them without that for sure. But as you start to struggle more and more and do longer and longer ones, you have to break it up. It has to be done like that. Um, there's a classic statement of how do you eat an elephant? The answer is one bite at a time. You just need to break it up, right? Anything. And it could be a university degree, could be you know a big project at work, all of that stuff. And, and we talked about this in, in your Kona prep as well when I was talking to you offline. And we'll go through, we'll have an episode coming up uh, at some point. It might actually be releasing before this does, but around you know your Kona and my Berlin efforts. And, and we'll talk about that sort of thing in there. But breaking it up, having times where he switches off mentally, uh, is really important. And then you actually see this, you hear this of golf for those who are golf fans. They'll say that between the holes, the golfers will just switch off mentally, talk absolute garbage with their caddies, make jokes, whatever, completely defocus so that they can then focus back in because the mental load and the fatigue that's generated by focusing the whole time is just so high. It's so hard to sustain. Cool. That's another episode of the Super Sapiens podcast. Uh, very valuable insight. I almost feel selfish, you know, being uh, on this podcast and very privileged because, I mean, I learn so much every single episode. And thanks to you and thanks to our guests. So I hope you, the listener, enjoyed this episode as well. If you did, please subscribe to our podcast, share it with a friend as well, and rate us five out of five only. <laughs> um, if there's something you'd like us to cover, a guest, some, a topic you'd like us to talk about, we do do science-only episodes, so please email us, david at supersapiens.com. Also join the Super, Super Sapiens Discord channel. David, thank you so much for another episode. I My voice is starting to crack. It's starting to go. It's just about held up. I'm jealous of how bad your voice can be and how good it can still sound compared to me being completely healthy and still sounding like this. So I'm jealous <laughs> and uh, I gotcha. I gotcha. I finally you, gotcha. You've cracked me. You've cracked me, man. <laughs> All right. Catch take you care, on mate. the next episode. Cheers. <laughs>